Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just tuning in for the first time, what we do here on this podcast is we recap every episode of Westworld. This week we'll be recapping and discussing the theories around Season 1, Episode 6, entitled The Adversary. You can find more episodes of the show at decodingwestworld.com. You can also email us at decodingwestworld.com at gmail.com. And I will say, Joanna, I have been a bit overwhelmed with the emails. We've just gotten... Dozens, if not hundreds, of emails every week with uh, different theories all the time, right? Uh, just yeah. so much stuff. Uh, it's it's hard to keep track, but we do try to read every single email. So thank you for keeping those coming in. Uh, so before we get to this week's episode, I want to talk about some follow-up from last week's episode. And I want to start by talking about a, a couple things where I messed up, which is a common occurrence on podcasts that you and I do together. <laughs> Uh, and I went on a huge, insane, unhinged rant at the end of last week's episode about how everyone knows the multiple timeline theory now, and there's no way it could possibly be surprising, blah, 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 blah. And I think, Joanna, when you and I uh, were on Twitter, we read Reddit, we do a podcast about Westworld, it's easy for us to forget uh, what the experience of watching the show is like for the vast majority of people who are watching the show without reading any recaps, right? And I think uh, the only reason I say that I, do, uh, like I have perspective on that is because, as I said last week, like I watched the first four episodes without you guys, and I had no idea of the two-timeline theory, which, you know, Reddit figured out by episode two. So I think if I were just watching this by myself, I... I might have picked up on some things, but certainly not the full extent. Okay, you're right. I'm sorry if I related, you know, any of what I did to anything that you do. I I, I take this. This is all on me. Okay, no, 100 my B. We just to say, you know, I went on this huge rant and I said, hey, if you are going to hinge your show around a big reveal and people figure out that reveal, then you're going to take away a lot of that reveal's power by the end of it, by the end of the show. And I had dinner with. Two sets of friends this week uh, who watch Westworld, don't listen to the podcast, and had no idea what the multiple timeline theory was. And I didn't even tell them because I, I wanted it to be a surprise. But it just was a real wake-up call to me that we – or at least I am experiencing the show differently than most people are. And so when the big multiple timeline reveal comes right in episode 9 or 10 – it's very possible that the vast majority of people watching it will be surprised. And what I mean by the multiple timeline theory is I'm, of course, referring to the idea that what we're witnessing on the show is taking place in two different time periods and possibly that William or Logan becomes the man in black uh, and ends up becoming him decades later. Go ahead, Jonah. Two different time periods, if not three. But the good news for this episode, which we'll get to, is that I think Dave and I both agree that it all takes place in one time period that's right uh season one episode six uh pretty sure it takes place in one time period so right. 
Uh, we don't even see William, Logan, or Dolores in this episode, uh, which felt almost kind of like a relief, to be honest. Didn't have to think about it, you know? Didn't right, have to right. think about how this all fit together. But anyway, wanted to just mention that I think a lot of people's experience watching the show is unsullied, and the time period reveal will blow their minds, and so we should ready those uh, cameras to record uh, reaction videos when that reveal happens. Uh, but uh, yeah, just wanted to cop to that, that a lot of people still don't know what it is. And I actually made a video this week uh, putting together some evidence uh, of the multiple timeline theory. And uh, you can find that in the show notes. Uh, I also posted it at slashfilm.com. Uh, and of course, you can always read Joanna's amazing uh, recaps at Vanity Fair as well. So wanted to follow up on that. Uh, and I also wanted to follow up on another remark I made last week about how constellations could mm-hmm. be seen differently from Earth than they are from Mars. This, this has to do with where the actual park Westworld is located. Some people have speculated it's on Earth. Some people have speculated it's on Mars. Uh, in a prior episode, Elsie uh, looks up at the sky in order to try and see Orion, the constellation. And so uh, I said, hey, in that episode, Elsie looks up at the sky. And also, by the way, Dolores looks up and sees the moon. And so maybe the fact that uh, Elsie sees Orion and or is just looking for Orion and Dolores sees the moon, that's evidence that uh, they're on Earth. Now, of course, most people just completely ignored the second part of what I said and went straight to the error, which is that uh, the idea that constellations are different on different planets. Turns out uh, we got dozens of emails and tweets about this, including from an astrophysicist named Zach who says that Orion from Mars would look exactly the same. Uh, and because those stars are so far away that if you're in a different planet in our solar system, that uh, they, they look almost identical, the constellations do. I did ask about the moon, though. I asked Zach about the moon, and he said the moon is very close to Earth and comparatively not very close to Mars. All the stars in the sky are much, much farther away from us than uh, we are from Mars. It would look like uh, it would be like looking at a distant city sky- skyline from 20 miles away and then moving 10 feet to the left. It would look almost exactly the same. Uh, so, yeah, so th- that's kind of the difference between uh, Mars and uh, Earth from a constellation slash uh, moon perspective <laughs> is that the moon would look a lot different. Constellations would look very similar. So. Um, and if you've been listening to this podcast all season, you know that I am very stubbornly in the I don't care where it takes place camp. But um, that being said, I, a friend of the show, Jesse Carp, uh, yeah, did send me a Reddit link today that I thought was really enjoyable, which it's titled on Reddit. Anyone, uh, the title is anyone else plug in the latitude and longitude on the Delos topology map. So if you go to, uh, it's like westworld.com or whatever, right? Uh, where we're seeing all these, oh, discoverwestworld.com where HBO has put all these, like this extra ephemera, like Delos terms of service and all this other stuff that you can read if you want to. We shouldn't presume that most people watching Westworld have read it, but if you go there to discoverwestworld.com slash images slash explore slash explore underscore BG, sorry about all this, but anyway, there's a map with longitude and latitude in it. And drum roll, if you plug that into like Google Maps, you get the bottom of Italy between the boot, the toe and the heel uh, right by the water there. And we know there's an ocean on the map, so we know that, that Westworld is near the water. I'm not saying Westworld necessarily takes place in the bottom of the boot of Italy. Uh, this might just be sort of an homage to Spaghetti Westerns or something like that. Um, 
So I just thought it was like a fun little thing that a Redditor did that may or may not prove to mean anything at all. So there you go. Uh, Well, another possible location for where uh, the park is. A couple other things I just want to point out about the multiple timeline theory. Uh, Several people have objected to the term multiple timeline theory, which seems to indicate that – Uh, That term, multiple timelines, implies that it's like alternate universes rather than uh, like two time periods. Do you you have a preferred nomenclature for talking about the different timelines? Like timeline is just a cool word, so I like using it. Timeline is also a Michael Crichton novel. Um, I am trying to adopt time period because timeline is bothering so many people and I'm tired of them sending me angry tweets about it. So I am trying to adopt time period as a nomenclature. Yeah, but it just doesn't sound as cool as multiple timelines, right? It's not (laughs) as easy to say. It doesn't roll as trippingly off the tongue. Right, and Uh, it's not a Michael Creighton homage, so, you know. The outline made a video about this theory as well. They called it the nonlinear timeline theory, I think, which I, I also kind of like, right? Is okay. nonlinear timeline okay? Anyway. You can say uh, whatever you want, Dave. A lot of people have talked about how, well, of course, Jimmy Simpson's character, William, becomes a man in black because they both have blue eyes. And Logan does not have blue eyes. And so that's how we know that William is the man in black. I just find that to be uh, a bit silly, to be honest, because you are talking about a universe in which they have invented sex bots uh, that have uh, AI and that can... Uh, passes human i'm um, pretty sure people can wear contacts or change eye color or do something in this time uh to you know like eye color i don't think should be uh a huge factor i i, I will say that i don't think I, it's conclusive but i think if we're looking at two candidates ben barnes who's the actor who plays logan and jimmy simpson the actor who played who plays william uh i to to my mind especially via eye color he jimmy simpson william looks more like ed harris the men in black um a lot of people don't think they look anything alike it doesn't really matter i mean honestly <laughs> yeah end, i don't think it either of them really matter yeah i don't think Not- either of them looks like the man in black but I, I i do have sympathy for one point of view which is that uh, there's no way jimmy simpson could be the young man in black because for young ford we've seen them use you know digital anti-aging to make him look like young ford and Anthony why Hopkins. wouldn't they do the same yeah. for a young Ed Harris? You know what I mean? Why, why, why would they so make it inconsistent like that? a twist. Whoa. You know. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I hear the, the people who are frustrated that they use, they digitally de-aged Anthony Hopkins for young Ford and might use a different actor altogether for young man in black. That is a sort of internal logic and inconsistency, I guess. I don't care about it. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. The, uh, the other thing I do want to mention, we've got we've gotten a lot of emails and tweets over the last couple weeks, of course, that if we're going to look at the meaning of names on Westworld, Dave brought up Hector Escaton is an interesting name. I think Dolores is an interesting name in terms of Dolores means sadness or pain. Escaton means, what is it again, Dave? Like the world. Yeah, the end of the world. Yeah. The end of the world. Um, Robert Ford is, there's, of course, a famous person named Robert Ford from Western history. And um, he was portrayed by what? Casey Affleck in um, the assassination of Jesse James by that coward, Robert Ford. Uh, Robert Ford shot Jesse James, one of his partners. So the question is, is Anthony Hopkins character named Robert Ford because he actually murdered his partner, a.k.a. Arnold? And perhaps because Ford is a coward and kind of a, 
conniving uh, person, you know, not someone who's totally wholesome, perhaps, as well? No, definitely. That coward. I mean, you know, if they had cast young Casey Affleck as young Anthony Hopkins instead of CGI'd him, I'd be fully on board with this. Yes, yes. (laughs) All right. Well, that is all the follow-up I think we need to do. A lot of follow-up. We just blew right past there. Uh, but there is a lot more to discuss this week. So uh, season one, episode six, called The Adversary. Uh, let's talk about what goes on. I-, I will just say right off the top, before we get into this episode, this episode is kind of what I thought Westworld would be as a show, mostly. right? I thought that it would mostly be about uh, this bureaucratic stuff, corporate espionage, and robots malfunctioning. I thought that would be... 90% of the show. And so all the William and Logan stuff was a huge surprise to me. Uh, and we've spent the last few episodes wrapped up in that. I'm really glad that uh, we got to see kind of the other side of the park in this episode. Uh, overall, were you a fan, Joanna? Yeah. I mean, especially – we'll talk about it more, but especially Tandy Newton's performance in this episode. I just – I think shifting the focus to Maeve – whose plotline I find the most compelling, actually. Giving Tandy Newton this this showcase for her talent. Um, yeah, and anchoring us all in one one timeline so I didn't have to worry too. I mean, there's still other plenty of other mystery resolve re- reveals that we can talk about, but yeah, I agree with you. It, it was sort of like a welcome break from the Dolores stuff, which was just getting a little too... I felt it's my fault, mostly, for chasing my own tail a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, let's talk about Bernard's storyline uh, the first time we see Bernard in this episode, uh, it's very similar to the last scene we saw him interacting with Elsie. Elsie's bringing the satellite device to him uh, and telling him about what's going on uh, with the transmission. He finds out he needs to go to an older section of uh, the company building in order to access uh, the the satellite so they can figure out the location and whether or not there are any other rogue hosts in the park who he needs to track down. Um, So he goes down to level 82. And let me just say this, Joanna. I feel like there's OSHA violations galore in Westworld. So maybe it does take place in Mars, (laughs) where there is no Occupational Safety and Hazard Administration. Because uh, why on earth would you have vast sections of your building in complete disrepair and apparently in a dangerous condition? Uh, it it feels a little bit silly to me. Like why? why yeah, would you... every, every time the lights flicker on and off, and like, and and there's water everywhere, it <laughs> yeah. freaks me out. I feel like you know Bernard's going to get electrocuted or something like that. I completely agree with you. It's nonsense. It's not. It's nonsense. It's a completely unsafe work environment, and yeah, it, it feels like it's a little bit uh, too flashy in a way that almost pulls you out of the reality of the show. Uh, but uh, what we do I see. The cool thing that I think they want to do eventually, and I think we saw a little bit of it in this episode actually, but is show you the stuff that you're seeing in decay and disarray eventually show it to us in its full flower when it wasn't flooded and broken down, you know? Right. Assuming that the multiple time period theory is true, right? When he goes back downstairs, you he see it's all old and decrepit, and then maybe we'll see it when it's not that way later on when they reveal the multiple time time period theory. Correct. Right. Yeah. So uh, we see Yul Brenner's gunslinger character, the the man in black from the original Westworld film by Michael Crichton, in the background, blurred out. Uh, so 
That is a really cool reference. Also, the music during that section matches the music in Westworld, uh, the original film as well. Nice little Easter egg. Some people are already spinning up fan theories around it, including Peter Schroeder at SlashFilm.com. But I think you and I both agree this is just an Easter egg. We we shouldn't uh, assume that it's anything else, right? Yeah, I I think it's just like a throwaway visual gag and and a nice like sort of instrumental cue. But, um, you know, I've definitely been wrong about one or two things before. So, but no, I I mean, I don't think we should look for anything bigger, though. You know, people have already pointed out that in the timeline of, of this and now I'm just talking about timeline, not time period theories, but like in the in the span of this show, you know, perhaps the incident that happened at Westworld in the film is the incident of 30 years ago that they keep talking about. It doesn't really make any sense to me because I feel like they're going to show us the incident and it's not going to have anything to do with Yul Brenner, but you know, these the, these are these are the theories that we're chewing on. Um Also, we never yeah. actually see Yul Brenner's face. I believe he's out of focus the entire time. Oh yeah, it's just a distinctive hat yeah. and, a, and a distinctive way he's standing with his hands like sort of looped through his belt loops, which is very similar to the way that that Yul Brenner sort of stalked around yeah. in that film. Yeah. yeah, but maybe it's not him. Maybe it's a completely different person. No one, no one knows. Um, but uh, I agree, it's a total Easter egg. I think. Uh, so then Bernard logs onto an old computer, and there is. Uh, I, I'll let you perform this, Joanna. What, what's going on with the old computer? As you write in the, the show notes here. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> oh, but Joanna, that's my favorite part. Okay, anyway. Right. Um, he logs into the old computer, uh, and as he's logging onto the screen, you see the old logo. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah. Whoa. Okay, see, I can't yeah. do it as good as you. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, so the, uh, the old logo is on the welcome screen. And really, we've talked about this before. I know we said this was a break from the time period theory talk, but like – one of the anchors, and, and um, as Dave and I have both noted in our work this week, HBO tweeted out before the show started, um, the HBO Westworld official Twitter account tweeted out, like, on Westworld, even the logos are worth a second look, uh, hint, hint. And so, you know, people have been using the different logos that we see when William arrives at the park in the flashback on um, a lab coat and here on this old computer at the welcome screen as an indication that, you know, anytime you see that older looking W, you're looking at something that is either a relic of the past or happened in the past. And in this week's episode, we see Maeve walking around and she walks in front of a large screen, very similar to the one that William walked in front of. It's not the same place in Delos, but it's similar. And uh, it's she has the new logo. He had the old logo. Right. So it just it, – like tracking logos feels like um, a, a way to anchor yourself if, in fact, there are two different time periods. I think at this point, it would be, yeah, it's, it would be a huge disappointment if the two different time periods theory was not true just because the logos have been consistent with it, right? Right. Uh, so well, there's also this weird thing. This is a little behind the scenes stuff that um, Reddit picked up on that. If you look at the um, thumbnail for episode two, Chestnut, 
um, on on HBOgo.com, you'll see that the thumbnail for for the episode is William and the uh, host, the intake host, played by Tulu O'Reilly, in the in the changing room where he's picking out his gun and his hat and his pants and all of that. Behind them is the new logo, but in the episode itself, it's the old logo, which means at one point in production. It was the new logo and they changed it before they put it on screen to be the old logo. And if you watch the episode again, you can sort of see the digital effect of that. When when they cross in front of the logo, you see a little bit of digital blurring. So um, so why would they have done that? I don't right? know. Well, well, this is another thing about this episode. Not to get too much in the weeds, but we are talking about the Bernard plot. But this so- is a podcast about <laughs> Westworld that's often longer than each episode. So, of course, that's- we can get in the weeds. Let's get into okay. it. Okay. Okay, so someone <laughs> someone tweeted me after the episode, or no, emailed us, and it was like, damn, just how many outfits did Bernard have on in this episode? And so when I rewatched it tonight, I tracked all the episodes, which Dave can corroborate because I wrote tracked all the outfit. You tracked all the outfits. Oh, sorry. I tracked all the outfits in the episode, what Bernard's wearing throughout the episode. Uh, I wrote down descriptions in our show notes. And to me, what it reveals is some funky editing of, of continuity in the episode. He goes back and forth. He'll say things like, earlier today I was X, but it doesn't really match up with tracking his outfit. That's getting bogged down in the minutia. But what I will say is I believe production shut down right around episode six. Um, and there are a lot of questions about why production on Westworld shut down entirely. The official line is they wanted to get ahead on their scripts. So that's why they did it i wonder and this is baseless speculation if hbo saw the first few episodes and was like this is confusing or this isn't whatever like gave some notes that were like please go back and and do some things so maybe the old logo is a good way to ink like to help drop some clues about timeline and they changed that after the fact to give you clues and so they just put it in where it wasn't there before that's a that's just complete baseless speculation on my part but it's possible that HBO is like this is too confusing they're going to be mad when we get to the end so you're going to need to change some things to make it clearer even though it's still not clear to 90% of the people watching from what I can figure out from watching the outfits in this episode I'm not recommending that anyone listening be so obsessive as to go back and track the outfits but I kind of think that the stuff where Bernard goes to the house in Sector 17 maybe once belo- possibly once belonged to a different episode, hmm. uh, maybe a future episode. Maybe they moved up the reveal of what I would like to call the Arnold reveal. I could be wrong. But um, anyway, if, if you feel like being super obsessive and rewatching the episode and then tracking the outfits um, – you know, let me know what you think. So I will say this about the outfits, though, is your theory last week, which I believe received a massive boost in this episode, uh, was that Bernard actually is Arnold, right? That Bernard has Arnold's uh, consciousness inside him. Uh, and that also looks he looks like Arnold, right? Right. Uh, and one piece of evidence uh, t- towards that theory is that in the Bernard Dolores scenes that we see where he's interacting and diagnosing her, he is dressed very differently than in the rest of the show, right? He's usually dressed kind of schlubby. His top tie, his top button is unbuttoned. He has a tie that's kind of loose. Uh, but in the Dolores Bernard scenes, he's very stylish. 
uh, and I, I believe is like I don't think he is wearing a tie in those scenes, or he's 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 dressed in a much different way. Uh, what I, you- like what's tricksy about it is that I don't think it's much different. I just think it's like. I think it's different. It's like an overall feel. But it's not like he's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and Bermuda shorts. Right, right. It's it's still in like the same palette. It's just, it's just, um, you're right. He's like, he looks more stylish, a little nattier. And, um, you know, he, he wear he's wearing a suit that we just don't see him wear in his other various combinations, which are all sweater vests and and blazers and ties and yeah. So uh, you know, I I agree with you. I think they're using wardrobe very subtly. If if the the flashbacks were, if the scenes we're seeing between Dolores and Bernard in that little glass cage, which I actually believe we saw in this episode, um, in the uh, background in like level eighty two, you're saying. Right. No, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you later. Okay. But um, if if we're in fact seeing Arnold before he died and and was turned into Bernard, uh, if we're seeing Arnold talk to Dolores there, then they could use subtle wardrobe changes to sort of denote that. Um, it's very complicated, but I but you're right. I think there was a lot of evidence in this episode that pointed us towards that specifically. Um, specifically that Arnold, the photo. What's the Arnold certainly doesn't look like the guy in the photo because the guy in the photo we saw uh, is a clone of Ford's dad. Um, something one of our listeners pointed out to me, and it's like a regular listener, so I so apologize that I don't remember his name. Um, but he pointed out to me that if you look at that photo again that we originally saw of Ford and who we thought was Arnold, and now we know is Ford and a robot clone of his dad, uh, there's a curious space missing uh, in in the framing of the photo, so you know the the new theory is that if we see that photo again later, as as Dave mentioned, we might we might see that photo again. Uh, we'll see someone who looks a lot like Bernard, but is actually Arnold, standing in that empty space in the photo. Uh, that there's a third space there, and if you rewatch that scene where. Ford gives Bernard the photo to look at. Ford's sort of studying him as if like. Is he going to see it or is he not going to see it? If he's a if he's a robot, or I'm sorry, we're not allowed to say that. If he's a host, uh, you know, he shouldn't be able to see it because his programming should prevent him. You know, like if you if you rewatch that scene, it's sort of like he's testing him a little bit. I, I don't and, know how I feel about that, Joan. I, I am off the whole Bernard is not seeing something in the photo theory part of your theory because. Uh, I, I just think Ford straight up lied about the photo, and that's not Arnold. And Arnold wasn't even there. You know, he's just straight up lied about it. But that's my so, that's my interpretation. Not, so if we see that photo again, and there's a third person in that photo, um, I will give you a really nice housewarming gift. Oh wait, I already did. Oh, uh, you already did. That's true. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I'll uh, yeah. Okay, but I'm just I'm just I'm, I'm willing to eat crow. Right I'm willing to eat crow on the show. Metaphorically, so. Will you admit that Ollie from Game of Thrones is a terrible character? Never. So let's move on. <laughs> move on. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Bernard uncovers five hosts uh, in some random ass area of the park, uh, and a few things happen. Firstly, he goes to track them down. We meet the family that is kind of was created by Arnold, and it is a replication of Ford's family when Ford was younger, right? Right. So this is where we learn a little – like this is where we get confirmation that some of the hosts we're seeing are clones. At least these 
for people in that dog, <laughs> right? Right, and we assume that the dog is the fifth host, correct? I do. Yeah, yes. P- Peter Serretta from Slash Film was saying how maybe uh, maybe there's another host that we haven't seen, but I think the, the dog is the fifth host. Um, and so uh, a few curious things. Firstly, a- as we've already pointed out, the photo of Arnold that Ford showed us earlier was actually a photo of Ford's clone father. Uh, or perhaps Ford's real father. We don't know, right? But they're dressed exactly the same. Uh, Age-wise, age bo- I would say probably the clone. Well, Ford is a lot younger in that photo too, is he not? So Yeah, but but the way the the clone robots are set up in this little house, Ford's a kid. Oh, that's right. You're right. You're right. So, it, so it's almost definitely the uh, the host version of Ford's right. father. Um, host, uh, the Ford's father attacks Bernard just out of the blue, which is kind of frightening. And then Ford himself appears out of nowhere. Like nowhere. <laughs> like if you Thin watch that scene again, <laughs> if you watch that scene again, the space where Ford is standing on is completely empty, cut to the reverse angle, and Ford is suddenly there. Uh, yeah. So what's going which on is, there? Just something we've seen. I don't know that we talked about it last week, but in episode five, we got a lot of that kind of stuff in the Dolores plotline. Right. Um, you can read my my breakdown of this uh, over on VanityFair.com. But basically, to me, it means Dolores sort of popping in and out of time periods. So you'll get a scene where Dolores is standing all by herself and then all of a sudden William's there. I don't think this is a time period like fuckery here. Um, you, you know, I, 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 I don't – but but Ford did appear out of nowhere. So yeah, uh, so I think that's that's the problem with the show. I think in some ways is because uh, the, the mysteries are so deep that Ford appearing out of nowhere can seem to take on more meaning than just a stylistic flourish. You know what I mean? It's in my opinion, it's just a, a filmmaking stylistic flourish that this guy appears out of nowhere. It's kind of like when you watch Jason Bourne walk off into the distance and a bus passes by and when it's passed, he's gone. You know what I mean? It's it's just kind of a little stylish, like a little, you know, I'm going I'm to dis- disagree with you again. I think this is more of like us seeing what Bernard can see and can't see. All right. All right. Given time. We'll see. We'll see. This is uh, this is the hill I will die on. That's fine. That's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, so far, I think you've been more right than wrong, in <laughs> at least until we learn what the actual truth is. Uh, but when I say right and wrong, I mean I, I've believed more things than you've said that than not. So because uh, we don't actually know if the multiple time period theory is true or not. Anyway, no uh, idea. Arnold explains. <laughs> yeah, right. Arnold explains, or I should say. Um, Bernard actually mistakes Ford's father for Arnold because he saw him in the photo earlier, right? Uh, and then Ford explains, hey, this is my family. I don't tell anyone about them because um, it's like my, a connection with my past. And if you had a host version of your son, wouldn't you want to keep him alive? Blah, blah, blah. Always bringing up the son. Ford's really pulling out that card a lot. Uh, so Bernard seems satisfied with what he's found. The five... Extra host was a red herring, right? I, I mean, he's unsettled. Like, he tells Ford, this is like the first act of insubordination, I think. He tells Ford, like, I'm pretty creeped out by what I'm seeing here, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. These hosts aren't registered in the system. It's upsetting, um, you know, which I thought was interesting. And also, like, since we're talking about 
Barnard being a host or not. I think my favorite line about that in this episode is earlier when he was talking to Elsie and he says to her, like you said, I've been here forever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, if you believe that he's been there since the start of the park, that's a fun line. So, yeah, yeah. totally. What else happens with the Bernard Elsie storyline? Elsie gets to the bottom of what's going on with those. Like, she does some exploring, finds out that, hey, it's an inside job, and oh, by the way, the woman you've been sleeping with, but that relationship is over now. She's probably responsible. Furthermore, Arnold seems to have his fingerprints all over this code and telling the robots to to do crazy Hack- things. Go- well, yeah, hacking the bicameral mind system, which is only existent in the older robots. Uh, so, you know, we know that Dolores is an old model, and it's po- I guess it's possible that, May- I mean, we know that Maeve had previous builds, but I don't know how much of an old model she is, but it seems like possibly only the hosts that are being affected by what's go- whatever's melting down are the ones with the bicameral mind system, which is no longer something that they put in the robots. I think that's true. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to say about that is, oh, what we forgot to mention in the Ford, the creepy Ford family house is we saw a little bit more, you know, there's a big, huge raging debate last week about what the robots looked like over time in the park. And here we saw the original, these are original models. They look exactly like the modern models, uh, except the kid's face opens up uh, and you see all the little the circuitry that the man in black was talking about last week when he was talking about how the robots are inside all circuitry. And so and they have like a million little pieces, right? Um, yes. Whereas now they're made up of uh, organic Bio-matter. matter. Biomatter. Yeah. And, so, and so people who are trying to sort of anchor uh, whether or not they were seeing different times in the park are trying to figure out what the robots would look like. If indeed William and Dolores are tooling around 30 years ago, would the robots look different? Would they look like old Bill, who, you know, is a sort of creaky, herky-jerky model? Um, and I would argue that they wouldn't. I would think that they would look like the Ford family. The Ford family are original models and they're quite smooth smooth and sophisticated looking and we see that the robot dog bleeds profusely so i don't even think like a lot of blood coming out of these robots really helps determine age so that's just my take on robot evolution (laughs) yeah uh makes sense makes sense completely to me joanna and i'm being serious which is you know making sense to me about robot evolution is not a thing i thought i'd ever say to you in any context but here we are (laughs) <laughs> I should also say uh, I, I skipped over the fact that, yeah, Bernard and Teresa broke up this week. Uh, you know, single tear falling down my face. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, I, I don't know if it's that sad. I mean, were we really super invested in their relationship at this point? I'm only sad because Bernard seems to not want it to happen. And I root for Bernard no matter who he is or how much circuitry is inside of him. Yeah. I'm rooting for him. So, yeah. Uh, she calls off the relationship because she doesn't want the board questioning her objectivity during a very intense time when Ford seems behaving uh, unstably. So uh, anyway, as I was mentioning, Elsie's getting to the bottom of this corporate espionage thing. She goes to this uh, theater, which is apparently uh, like if the serial killer from Saw took up arts and crafts. <laughs> That's what the theater would look like. And uh, I thought this section was pretty dumb, uh, just very – if this happened in a horror movie, we would give the horror movie a D. You know what I mean? Because of how obvious and contrived it feels and why Elsie, being one of the smartest people in the show, would be that dumb about 
her surroundings and robots malfunctioning and therefore I'll go to an isolated place where someone's trying to do something incredibly illegal and unsafe perhaps and like mess with the robots. Yeah. I agree with you. Pretty stupid. Pretty stupid. Yeah, pretty dumb. Yeah. I saw you speculate on your post that it's Stubbs that grabs her at the end. Uh, I think so. We don't really see enough of anyone to get a sense of it, but we uh, it's obviously someone who's larger than her. That's the only thing we really know, right? Uh, it's a white dude. Oh, <laughs> really? Got, I didn't even see a, I didn't see a face. And he's no, you don't see a face. You see hand and neck. Oh. Uh, and he's got a long black sleeve on. So that's pretty stubsy to me. But yeah. we'll it see. screams stubs. The outfit screams stubs. <laughs> Positively so. stubs. That arm so stubby. Um, and I think my theory, based on nothing, uh, is that she's not in danger. That he's there to like almost rescue her from herself, sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? I think it's a fake out grab. Right. I think he's going to be like, what are you doing out here all alone yelling about how like corporate espionage when like people are out here committing corporate espionage? What's wrong with you? So we'll see. I don't know. Here's but. my question. How is Arnold tinkering with the host data, changing loops, breaking loops, making robots lie to people? How is he doing that if Arnold died decades ago? Joanna, what do you think of that? Um, Ford's put something in this episode about all true artists put something in themselves in their artwork, right? And so a lot of people are theorizing that Arnold somehow coded, you know, left coding behind him that is causing this mischief. Um, you know, we saw people using, you know, we, we learned earlier in the season that Arnold was the one, I think, who liked to use voice commands. Uh, so all the old phrases, the phrases that they used to sort of get the host to do things, that's from Arnold. So uh, these violent delights have violent ends seems like a vestigial sort of Arnold thing. And I still am unclear as to exactly what triggered it. You know, maybe the coding in the reverie, maybe something else. But if it's sort of infecting the system uh, with Arnold's name attached to it, you know, because we learned in this episode, and this is skipping ahead, but we learned in this episode that Maeve's settings, her paranoia and her self-preservation had already been bumped up by someone with clearance way above the butchers, right? And so uh, you want to assume that that's Arnold since Arnold is is the one that, that Elsie points out. And so I feel like it's almost uh, something in the system, a trigger that he left behind in the code. You know, right. Alternate theory is that if your theory that Bernard is Arnold is true, that it's Bernard who's doing the messing around. Could be. Could be. Sure. So uh, but I think you're the way you described it just now would also work really well. Uh, Let's talk about uh, a few other things that happened with Ford this episode. Uh, He is still mapping out uh, where his new storyline is going to take place. So they go back to uh, the village where I think Lawrence is from. Right. Uh, Las Mudas, yeah. Yeah, and they're like patching up the bullet holes from the fight that the man in black had, <laughs> uh, which I thought was very funny. And everyone freezes again, which on the show I find to be very effective. And if you listen to my interview with Vincenzo Natale, uh, a lot of the scenes where people freeze, they're moving the camera to kind of accentuate the effect, which I thought was very effective. And uh, Ford says, hey, we've disturbed these people enough. We can have the canyon stop short of this village, which... I feel like the characterization of Ford's a little inconsistent, Joanna, because just like a couple episodes ago, he was cutting open that host's face and saying these people don't feel anything. So why would he care about disrupting these host's lives? You know, are we supposed to interpret that Ford himself is conflicted about this, do you think? Is that the intention? I think, 
I think so. It seemed to me like he's some sort of emotional attachment to that town, some sort of sentimental attachment. So maybe something happened there in the past and he doesn't want to destroy the evidence of that. And, you know, we've seen Ford be sentimental before. You're right that, you know, he he said the hosts mean nothing and he cut one's face open and that was disturbing. But in his conversation with Dolores, it was last week, right, where he was talking to her and he said, you know, you're the only one who remembers what it was like then. You know, like I think he just does have some some sort of lonely nostalgia for a history that he can't share with anyone anymore. Um, and and Las Modas might be one of those elements, you know. Totally. Later, uh, Ford finds the young version of himself and a dead robot dog. Uh, and then he interviews young Ford uh, in uh, a kind of an interrogation room. Young Ford lies at first. And then during diagnostics tells him that he, young Ford, was the one who ended up killing the dog because the dog had killed a uh, rabbit, I think, right? Uh, Yeah, I can't remember. It was a cat or a rabbit in the same way that uh, Ford had told the story uh, in uh, last episode about the dog catching the thing. This is a really effective and frightening scene. Love the framing with Ford on the left side, and then you see a reflection of young Ford kind of overlaid on top of him. Uh, really great way of showing uh, through the framing kind of what you're trying to communicate that like young Ford is a part of you know older Ford. Mm. Uh, really like that. Anything else you want to say about this? I mean, I think this is clearly setting up the the conflict for the rest of the season that these robots are finally growing out of control in a way that could harm humans, right? Well, there's two things. One, I believe if you rewatch this scene, to me, it looks like the same setting where Dolores and Arnold are having their one-on-one conversations. Uh, I see. So that's where you think you saw the room. I do believe so. I believe Ford and the younger version of himself are sitting on the outside of the room that we've seen Dolores and Arnold sit on the inside of. There's the same I mean, there's uh, there's different stuff. But if it takes place 30 years apart, uh, there could be different stuff in there. There's the same but a same table, same shelving, same concrete walls that we haven't really seen elsewhere in Delos, I think. So I think it's the same location. So just good production management. Or a, a way of relating it to what's going on with that Bernard Dolores stuff. Right. Who knows? It's, it's a good question. And then the other thing is this this scene might be an indication of trying to figure out what it is exactly Ford wanted to do. It's hard when everyone is lying, right? Okay, so like um, if you think Ford was lying about the photograph, I don't think he was technically. But if you think he was, we know all the hosts are lying all over the place. So it's really hard to track who's saying what to whom and what is true. And so, you know, when when young Ford originally starts his story, he's lying and then Ford makes him tell the truth. But do we even know if that's the truth, et cetera, et cetera. But let's just say that that second version is the truth. And he's saying that this voice who he th- he sees as Arnold is telling him to put the dog out of its misery because the dog is a killer. And if the if young Ford kills the dog, then then the dog can, can't harm anyone anymore. So let's extrapolate that right to the human hosts. If Arnold at some point thought the human hosts were damaging in some way, um, he might have program them to kill themselves or kill each other so that they could all not hurt anyone anymore. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out what it is that Ford wanted to do. You know, Dolores said last week that Arnold wanted her to 
uh, destroy this place is what she said. So I'm just trying to figure out what he wanted to do and why exactly. So did he want to kill all humans? Did he want robots to kill all humans as Bender did in Futurama? Or did he want (laughs) uh, the robots to kill each other so that they didn't harm humans? Right. Right. I mean, I I still want to go back to my theory that I think Arnold just wanted them to have full consciousness. uh, But uh, because that's kind of what Ford told us, but I, I I don't know. I'm open to all possibilities. Right, because Ford could be lying. Um, <laughs> Anyone could be lying at any time. <laughs> yeah, totally. We also learned, I should point out, that there are 82 first-generation hosts uh, still in existence, and 47 of them were designed by Arnold, and then Bernard lists them in alphabetical order, and you see Dolores is one of them. You don't really get a good look at any of the other ones. Um, I suspect that these 47 will be important, at some point, or some of them will be important. Um, but that would be kind of the extent of the damage, assuming your theory is correct about uh, Arnold putting in kind of crazy, paranoiac code into the hosts, right? That maybe it would just be these 47 hosts, right? Right. He said alphabetical order, so it would make sense that Dolores is sort of at the top of this rolling list that he's looking at and you know if Maeve is one she would be lower down um, but I'm curious about Abernathy because we feel like Abernathy is definitely one I don't know if he has a different name and he would be listed differently but when he'd be at the top of the list if his name is just I mean Dolores' original father if his name is just Abernathy you know right. um, or, yeah. or, or did they alphabetize him by first name I didn't see right I, I don't know I am, I'm, I'm going down the rabbit hole, so we should probably move on. But you're right that I'm sure this is going to come back in some way. Yeah. Those numbers, that list in some way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, so that's basically what goes on before this episode. Uh, let's talk about Sizemore this episode. Uh, Sizemore is on the roof of the Delos Resort or what have you. And he has uncomfortable conversations with Teresa, uh, who confronts him. He's really depressed. Sizemore is not only depressed about how Ford killed his Odyssey on the Red River narrative, uh, he's also concerned about how all the disruptions Ford's making is dis- are destroying his existing narratives in the park. He kind of mouths off to this attractive woman who he meets on, uh, at the bar, and then later we find out that it's actually uh, the board member representative. In a big, shocking twist. I think a couple things are important. One is that Teresa says that this character whose name – the character's name is Charlotte Hale. I'm going to say the actor's name. Brace yourself. The actor's name is Tessa Thompson of Creed and future Thor fame and Dear White People. Fantastic actors. I've been waiting for her to show up on the show. Um, So she's there. She's the executive director of the board and she's there to oversee transition in management. I think she said management or personnel. I wrote it down. But, um, you know, it seems more and more that Teresa's really intent on pushing Ford out and collecting information in order to push him out and uh, that that Teresa is there uh, that that Charlotte Hale is there to sort of help with potentially pushing Ford out of the picture. I mean, she says she says to Sizemore on the roof, if Ford's new storyline fails, the board will have to get rid of him and they'll be looking for a replacement. And she says they won't be looking here. She means in the bar. So she means like get back to work. Right. You know, if you want to be the, the like the head storyteller, um, that's pro- storyteller is probably not the title. Um, yeah, and you know, of course, we see Sizemore urinating on the on the 
map. So which apparently the- which apparently has like physical properties. It, it it almost looks like the urine is bouncing off like an actual like contour of the map versus I thought the you map thought was, it was holographic. Like a hologram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I have a theory about Sizemore and it's a, it's a simple one. So calm down, which is this, that uh, I think that character was written into the pilot. It doesn't really work very well as a character. <laughs> and we've seen like kind of very little of him for a few episodes. And my suspicion is that he will be written out entirely soon. Why do you, know? do you, think, why do you think he doesn't work? Let's talk about this. I don't know. I, you know, I don't want to lay it on the actor um, because I don't know his work and I don't know if he's great in other things. But uh, he just seems cartoonish in a way that doesn't, you know, it's I guess it's a similar criticism I had of Logan. Just cartoonish in a way that I don't think blends very well with what the other actor, the level the other actors are working on. Hmm. What do you think? Do you like him? Uh, well, he's certainly an incredibly annoying character, so it's hard to separate my annoyance at him with how the character himself functions in, in the realm of the show. But I think part of his purpose is to be a foil for Ford, right? That you have this guy who uh, is wizened and has been around forever, and that's Ford, and you have young blood coming up and, and trying to be ambitious. But I think it's part of a more general problem that all the machinations at the park have taken a back seat so far to all the stuff that's going on within the actual storylines, like with William and Logan and with Man in Black and Teddy and that stuff. Like, those things are much more interesting to me. Uh, The William and Logan storyline is much more interesting to me than Bernard and Teresa's relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so so I think it's part of a more general issue with this uh, park running stuff, this office politics stuff just being a little bit underdeveloped. But when you have Sir Anthony Hopkins, like we've talked about the inconsistency in Ford's character. But when you have an actor like Sir Anthony Hopkins playing him, you need an amazing foil. (laughs) You know, you talked about that scene between the man in black and Ford in last week's episode being like the scene in heat between Pacino and De Niro, right? Like here are two heavyweights who seem so significant squaring off. So to call Sizemore a foil for Ford, that's like an ant being a foil to a giant. Like it's just not on the same – like it's just like really – I'm really not trying to knock this actor. It sounds like you kind of are though, Joanna. (laughs) No, I just don't think – like I – Do you agree with me that he's supposed to be a foil for Ford though, right? uh, I don't know. I think – no, I don't think so. I think maybe initially, but – no, I, I think that they don't know what to do with that character, honestly, to be honest with you. Hmm. They shelved him for like three episodes, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Just the idea – I like the idea of him that is to say uh, a, a person – he's kind of a uh, – he epitomizes a, a mercurial artist, you know, very moody, um, very dickish. But people put up with him because he's a genius and because he created a lot of these amazing narratives that, that guests enjoy. I, I feel like a lot of us know people like that. You know, you and I probably know people like that, you know, and uh, so I appreciate that the show is trying to represent that kind of personality. I will say, yeah, getting back to sort of com- conversations we had around the beginning of Westworld, which is about how 
it was a meta opportunity to tell stories about storytelling, right? Like they're basically putting on a TV show so you could take cracks at network executives and write sensitive writers and all those other things, like things that they're steeped in as they make the show Westworld, they could show those personalities on the screen. So when Sizemore gives this really douchey speech about how he put some of his self, like the years and the squeezing out the narrative and his like self is in there, like I could definitely feel like the people who wrote that speech have had to endure speeches like that from their colleagues, like uh, less desirable colleagues. Yeah, or made so, those, or made that speech, or made or made versions of that speech. So you know, yeah, I, I, and, and, I li- and so that's what I like the idea of him. You know, I I like I, the I, idea that he represents this kind of creative force that's very hard to contain. Uh, I like the idea of him. I guess I just I'm not sold on the execution. Yeah, I agree. C- agree completely. Agree completely. Yeah. I just don't think. I think you, it sounded to me like you almost didn't think the idea was even worth pursuing. I think the idea is worth it. I don't think they've done anything with it thus far, and but maybe they will. Maybe they will because he does come back this episode. So, uh, all right, we have so much more to get through this episode. Uh, Man in Black and Teddy, interesting stuff going on there. Teddy explains what the maze is, uh, and why don't. I read uh, off exactly what he says. While you look up that exact quote, I want to say that, um, you know, this goes back to my everyone's lying sort of thing. Teddy says what the maze is according to whatever Ford programmed Teddy to say what the maze was, right? Right. Like, we don't know (laughs) if what he's saying is true. I I want to believe just because that's the simplest, uh, nicest answer and then we would have some indication. But, um you know, just like Teddy rambling off his backstory about Wyatt, this just feels like a big, long speech that was written for him that could be true and could not be true. But anyway, take it away. What is it? Quote, the maze is an old native myth. The maze itself is the sum of a man's life. The choices he makes, the dreams he hangs on to. And there at the center, there's a legendary man who had been killed over and over again countless times, but always clawed his way back to life. The man returned for the last time and vanquished all his oppressors in a tireless fury. He built a house. Around that house, he built a maze so complicated, only he could navigate through it. I reckon he'd seen enough of fighting, end quote. A lot of layers there. Presumably the man in the center is Arnold. Is that what you took away from it? Um, or is there someone else? Or is, is, it, <laughs> is, is the man in the center an idea rather than a person? I mean, I think the maze, honestly, I think the maze is something of a MacGuffin. I don't, I don't mm. know that I believe we'll actually see a physical maze. I could be wrong. But um, it does seem to be Arnold, like be like Arnold. And then I think uh, the way the episode actually chron- chronologically rolls out, we then see the quote, the who we think is Arnold in a house in the middle of the park. And so you're like, oh my God. Did Bernard already solve the maze and right. he found the house and here's Arnold and then it's not. Nice, um, fake. Yeah. But but the other thing that Teddy says there is he talks about a man who died over and over again and crawled back to life and that sounds like a host to me, right? Like someone who dies over and over again right. and keeps crawling back. So I don't know. It's ambiguous. But to me it sounds like more forward hand-waving mumbo-jumbo that will end up meaning nothing. But I could be wrong. So they then go to try to find Wyatt, which is what the Man in Black is doing at this point. Uh, And they encounter this encampment and they say, hey, we'll just dress up as these guys and sneak through. Uh, And then you find out that, hey, uh, Wyatt wasn't the only one doing a bunch of killing back at Escalante. Teddy was also involved. Yeah. And so they capture the Man in Black and Teddy. And then uh, Teddy breaks free and goes on a rampage and kills everyone. 
and I thought, man, firstly, this continues to fulfill the almost weekly quota we have of action scenes happening in the show. Um, pretty spectacular set piece with him just mowing people down with a Gatling gun. Chilling as well. And what I like about this episode and uh, what it does that's very similar to other Nolan's work, specifically Memento, is this idea with both Teddy and Maeve that your memories make who you are. That by changing these people's memories and their their lived experiences in their heads, that they can make someone into a cold-blooded killer. Uh, and Teddy doesn't even stutter. He doesn't blink. We saw him previously as a very noble, uh, wholesome individual, and now he's a murderer. And uh, and all, all it took to change that was to change his experiences, to change his history. And um, so I think a big question is, are, are we more than the sum of our experiences? Uh, are we more than the sum of our memories? You know, can we overcome that quote-unquote programming? I think this episode really asks that question nicely. Any other thoughts on the Man in Black and Teddy storyline this episode? Uh, one of our commenters, uh, Raymond Terry, who uh, was the person who pointed out the photo with the missing space to me. So thank you for that and for this. Uh, he he just said in our chat room, since we're recording live, uh, the punch at the man in black. And I think I'm interpreting that to mean that the soldiers threw a punch and connected with the Ed Harris character, man in black. And so we need to call into question again just how much these – visitors can get hurt. Um, my working theory is that you could get hurt more if you were a visitor to the park 30 years ago than you can now. But it seems like whatever the man in black's experience is, he's got some wiggle room there for people being able to hurt him. Yeah, I, I think the most uh, interesting thing is that not only can they hurt him, they can detain him. So they can dramatically and potentially negatively impact his experience of the park. Well, we already knew that. Like when um, the massacre happens, right? People go in jail. Like people yeah, go in jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, the uh, it just sounds really not fun to be at Westworld paying you know fifty, <laughs> forty, fifty, sixty grand a day or whatever with benefits and to be in a jail cell. You know what I mean? We got, we got kind of an interesting. Do Do you want to read that email now about? The plot lines that don't make sense in this episode? Or uh, save it to I'll, wait, I'll, wait, I'll save it to the end, yeah. Okay, yeah. bookmark this moment, guys, and remember <laughs> it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, some more information there about how the Man in Black uh, can be messed with by other hosts. But let's get to the main event this episode, Joanna. <laughs> We've been recording for like an hour, and uh, we haven't even got to the most impactful storyline, which is Maeve. Uh, and... This episode opens with her at the Mariposa again. She's mocking uh, a guest and uh, while he's having sex with her. And then we learn later that the reason she's doing that is so that he will choke her to death, which I thought was really disturbing. Uh, and the reason we, she wants him to choke her to death is so that she can get moved back to the place in the park where she is physically restored, right? Yeah. So that she can interact with Felix and Sylvester again. Uh, which, according to Reddit, are two names of cats, famous cats. Uh, and we also know that Felix is having fun with a bird as well. So uh, interesting Oh, yeah, that's there. true. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, we should also point out, yeah, the, the songs used in this episode, Fake Plastic Trees and Motion Picture Soundtrack by Radiohead, both with very relevant lyrics uh, to this episode. But um, anyway... 
she wakes up in the lab and Felix explains to her what's going on with her, what her programming is. Uh, and there is this crazy, amazing scene where he hands her this tablet showing her how all her language is constructed and it causes her to go haywire, which is a scene I th- think we've seen in movies before where robots will enter into loops and then be unable to escape. But the way it was done in this episode I thought was particularly effective. So good. Uh, yeah, it's pr- pretty amazing. Uh, she, she snaps out of it. She convinces Felix to take her upstairs. As Motion Picture Soundtrack plays, uh, she takes a tour and, and we see all this crazy behind-the-scenes stuff like them pumping blood into uh, new hosts who are white and then they start to develop flesh-colored. We see a saloon fight. We see hookers. We see... Uh, a, a buffalo. A, a buffalo. We see horses. It's crazy uh, how they must how much work they put into this you know, you can imagine all the the production designers putting so much work into this scene where they see these these little mini plays play out for just five seconds. You know, just all this work just so we could get convinced of this world that they're building. It's amazing. She gets to the end. She sees this video. Uh, notably, it uses the new logo. Sure does. Tallulah Riley's sex bot character is there. Host sex bot character is there someone a, a listener messaged me and said hey isn't that evidence that there's no two timelines and my response to that is uh let's not forget that classic saying uh if the sex bot ain't broke don't fix it right it's very possible that since that uh Tulula riley plays a robotic host that they just kept using that model throughout the whole, all the decades do you agree yeah though we have seen her in a flashback in the park um once like she was a park host before she was an intake host. But I, I agree with you that 30 years. She when did we still... see that flashback? When Arnold's talking about them building the park. Oh, we see um, her. Yeah. We see her sort of when you get to the part where the robots were like dancing and stuff like that. You see her sort of strolling through the parasol. So at one point she was a host host uh, in the park. Then I believe she's an intake host around William's time. And now she's either still being an intake host or just recording commercials uh, for, <laughs> for Westworld. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she's clearly a host that's been around for a long time. So. Her appearance in the promotional video here does not uh, invalidate the nonlinear timeline theory. Uh, also, I should point out that uh, when you see the new logo, it says a Delos destination at the bottom. Uh, but when William first arrived at Westworld uh, in episode two, you don't see a Delos destination underneath uh, that version of the logo. We don't always see a Delos destination whenever we see the new logo, but... Maybe, uh, you know, William is visiting the park before it became a Dallas destination, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Entirely possible. Uh, so then back in the lab, uh, you know, they explain to her what dreams are because she's all freaked out from seeing herself in the video. Uh, and then Sylvester comes in and starts mocking Felix. Ma- Maeve wakes up. And here's a question. Is Maeve like Chucky, do you think? Where once she's become self-aware, she can stay perfectly still as though she's a robot. You know what I mean? Like, what is her ability to navigate between being conscious and not conscious? Uh, I don't don't know. Kind kind of a rhetorical question. Yeah. (laughs) There's no no answer for that. But I just thought when Sylvester enters in, she sits completely perfectly still. And so I think to myself, hmm, uh, I wonder if she just – she can just make herself completely still now. That she's self-aware. 
right? Can I can I tell you a, a really dumb anecdote? Please. That may or may not add to our experience. Please. Uh, which which is that when I was in Los Angeles, gosh, I want to say like six months ago, uh, I was at the Chateau Marmont with friends, which is not something I usually do. <laughs> but I was at the Chateau Marmont. Someone was like, if you go there – you're going to see one famous person. And the famous person I saw was Tandy Newton. I was like, oh my God, it's Tandy Newton. This is exciting. She's so beautiful. She was sitting with the actor who plays Sylvester and they were doing like scene work. So I like to imagine that I was spying on them rehearsing this scene. It could be a later scene. could be any scene. Who knows? But they were working on this. Like my friends and I were frantically IMDBing him to be like, is this some guy? Or what are they working on? What's going on? Anyway, so... Um, that's the thing I saw in LA once. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, I thought I thought they were all great in this scene. I re- I love the actor playing Felix. I'm sorry, I don't have his name handy. I think he's amazing. I think the guy playing Sylvester is really good. I think uh, our chat room is going crazy with people having issues with this scene, and I'll promise that we'll get to it. Um, but whatever logical inconsistencies there are, I think the performances here are all top notch. Really agreed, and specifically, excuse me, specifically Maeve when she's walking through the behind the scenes, and as you go higher up the the escalators, it becomes more and more high level, right? And so I love seeing the the different levels of yeah. of design and execution within the park. It's pretty awesome, uh, and her reaction to watching all that. I mean, can you imagine how much your mind would be blown if a similar thing was shown to you, right? That uh, you were created for one specific purpose to get fucked and maybe get murdered repeatedly and your life basically has no meaning beyond that and everything you know about your entire existence is wrong and by the way all of your friends it's the same deal for them too I was thinking about this like I don't want to get too much into uh, religion because it's a touchy, sub- touchy subject but like you know Dave and I have talked in the past that like Dave is, Dave is a, a man of faith and I am uh, not I'm a heathen um, but I was thinking about like if I died and went to heaven and then since I don't believe there is a god or angels or anything like that like if this that's what it looked like to me she's been walking around if I were taken on a tour of heaven I'd be like what <laughs> what <laughs> what you created us what um you know, I don't know. That might be a dumb analogy. Point being, Tandy Newton's face in this no, episode. No, I, I don't think it's a dumb analogy. It is like a religious experience. It is finding out your reason for existing, you know? And you can imagine God or an angel walking you around and just explaining to you, hey, all the reason the reason that uh, cancer exists is because of this, you know? And being like, whoa, that's mind-blowing. But yeah, Tandy Newton's performance is great during that scene because she can't, she can't react strongly. Uh, but she has to react somehow, and I think she found the perfect ba- the perfect balance there. So. Yeah. Ugh, so okay. yeah, it's amazing. And then uh, she gets uh, Sylvester and Felix to up all of her attributes. Now, uh, okay, well, we'll get into like the the logical inconsistencies. But yeah, the idea is that they make her super smart at the end. Uh, Felix also learns that hey, someone has been messing around with her perception and paranoia and all that stuff. And presumably that is either Arnold or old code that Arnold put in there becoming like active, right? Right. Uh, or, and when I say Arnold, I mean Bernard playing Arnold. Maybe Arnold never died, you know, or right. maybe it's old code that Arnold put in there before he died decades ago. We don't know if Maeve was one of the original hosts that Arnold built, though. We don't know if she's one of the 47, though. So. Right. Okay. Any other thoughts before we dive into this email? 
Uh, no, all my thoughts are in response to this email. So right. let's do it. This email is entitled, uh, The Show Has Lost Me. And this email comes from Luke from Tooting, England, which I don't actually believe is a real place. Um, but because it's called Tooting, Joanna. It's but, a thousand percent a real place, but okay. Well, then it's a, it's a silly name. Um, uh, so Luke, it's a silly place. Yeah. It's a, it is a, let us not go to Tooting. It yeah. is a silly place. It is a silly place. Uh, so Luke writes in. Uh, I thought the pilot for Westworld was spectacular, but practically every decision the show has made since has made me like it less and less. Uh, in the first episode of your podcast, there were allusions made to the Aliens franchise in comparison to the show. Here's one more: the writing is Prometheus level bad. A few issues with the latest episode in particular. One, Maeve blackmailing the affirmation scientist is absurd. Her walking through the behind the scenes was a good moment. Uh, but when you've got a person who's threatening you, brain in your hand, the power dynamic is pretty one-sided. Not to mention that she's now uh, going to go back to the simulated world, and these guys can immediately do whatever they want that would result in her decommission. False and forced tension. Point two, Teddy and the Man in Black are concerned about a group of soldiers in their way. The show has done so much to establish the Man in Black as untouchable. Why doesn't he just go down, slaughter them all, and then call Teddy down when it's safe? False and forced tension, the second. Uh, Point three, this episode solidified my main issue with a lot of the storytelling since episode one. By far the strongest and most compelling aspect uh, of that was the idea of Dolores and other hosts waking up, developing their own consciousness and existence. Since then, the show has gone out of its way to make this fascinating and rich internal struggle a series of rote, mysterious, and boring external struggles. Starting with the literalized voice inside Dolores' head, they have added conspiracy and removed nuance at the cost of their richest thematic and uh, character-developing idea. They were moving back in the right direction a bit with Maeve and uh, the Maeve drawings and the heist story. But then this episode happened with every plot line reinforcing the interference of some unknown power slash individual. Uh, so anyway, the email goes on, but I think that, that's, a, the, that's the main argument right there is people doing uh, unrealistic things, behaving according to the script and not you know how they'd actually behave. Uh, I do think this point number three is interesting about uh, the host waking up and instead like it's a, they've turned this fascinating and rich internal struggle into a series of rote, mysterious, and boring external struggles. I don't know if I, I read it that way myself. Uh, random thought, by the way. I did find it interesting that Ford saw a maze carved out on a table this week. Right? Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. In Las Modas. Yeah. So, like, Ed Harris maybe didn't need to cut off a dude's scalp to find the maze. Uh, the maze is apparently written in a bunch of places, it would seem, including in yeah, public we, on a table. It burned on the coffin last week, like, and then they were going to burn it into Teddy. Like, I... <laughs> Why did he cut off that guy's head? He just amazes everywhere, you know? Anyway. Well, that was in the pilot. Who knows what was written after the pilot, you know? And, um... I really do feel like the maze of the MacGuffin, but we'll we'll find out. Um, so uh, I, I, have okay, resp- I, I have responses to this, but you you, okay, you, you can go I, ahead. I do as well. I, yeah. I want to start by saying um, Luke uh, is you know a listener that I really respect. Um, you know I know him from the Game of Thrones stuff we do. Like you know this this a lot of times you guys email us a lot and then we get to know your names and and that flavors things. So I really with all due respect to Luke, I don't agree or I don't have the same reaction he does to a lot of the things that he wrote in his email. That being said, I think he's right to pick at some nits in terms of the Maeve storyline. Um, 
I can see why Felix would go along with it because I think he's really in, like Arnold before him. He's really enthralled by this. We saw, we see that he has aspirations to be a programmer. And I think he's just like, he's charmed by her. And he's also just like, I can see why Felix would go along with everything. With Sylvester, it doesn't make as much sense. The only explanation I can figure out there is that they're not very bright. I mean, because they're in, you know, there, there's talk of, when Felix talked about wanting to be a programmer, um, Sylvester was like, nope, you're a butcher. That's all you'll ever be. As if like in this new world, there's sort of tracks you're on due to, I think it has to do with genetics because he talks about breeding things out in embryo. Um, there's tracks you're on. So it might be that the butchers are a particularly stupid breed, um, you know, but, but I'm willing to give Felix more of a benefit of the doubt that he is intellectually sort of sparked by the mystery that is Maeve. Um, well, there, and then there, I, there's several other explanations too, but uh, were you okay. going to, were you going to move on no. to the next thing or? Well, I will just say really quickly with the Teddy man in black thing. I kind of agree on the one hand, but on the other hand, like we saw the man in black, like he's, he tries to do that. And he's like, run away, Teddy. I'll hold them off. Right. Like, exactly. exactly. And then he got captured. So, you know, that one doesn't hold up as well for me, but the Maeve stuff, I think there are questions. What's, what's your take on it? Well, I, I actually, so firstly, Zach Byerly in the chat room says um, that Felix and Sylvester are scared for their jobs. So, uh, they they might want to go along because they don't want to be discovered and they're worried that, hey, they're already pretty in deep shit now and if they do any more crazy things uh, like deactivate Maeve or mess with the programming even more that uh, that it will be even worse for them than whatever path they're on right now. But I don't find that super convincing. What I do find convincing is two things. Number one, Maeve reveals the fact that Sylvester has apparently been wiping... Uh, hosts memories so that other texts can have sex with them right did you get that from the dialogue yeah uh so that he operates as sort of a pimp uh in the same capacity that she does right yes uh, so she's i get it that she's blackmailing him but he has the ability he's got functions in his hand that he can fight back against a blackmailer it's not just like someone sending him cut out letters on a piece of paper taped together in the mail. Like he's got extreme power over her. Okay. 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 Here's my second point. Here's my second okay. point is that <laughs> we've already seen Maeve can completely disregard yeah. directives given to her. Right. And maybe Felix is supposed to recognize this and they're like, hey, if we try to deactivate Maeve, if they have tried to deactivate Maeve on multiple occasions, has not worked, Joanna. So maybe if they were to try and turn down her intelligence or her ability to move or whatever, that that would not work, and then she, they would just be pissing her off. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but what I think would have been great is for that to be in the show. Not that it needs to hold my hand in every single way, but if Sylvester had been like, if at, at any point Sylvester had been like, uh, let's turn her bulk upception down to zero so she can't mess with us. And Felix would be like, um, what makes you think that's going to work? Nothing's worked on her. You know what I mean? Like that they even considered it. Yeah. I, but, I mean, maybe, maybe know, they shot, maybe they shot that scene and then right, they decided, Hey, not necessarily. Cause, cause uh, that's certainly what I took away. I, without having that scene in there, I just assumed, Hey, uh, this is a host who is completely disregarding all commands given to it, including shut down. So uh, anything we try and do to stop her might not work and may only succeed in pissing her off. So 
I mean, uh, I, I think that Maeve is probably smarter than they are. I, she's very, very smart, very, and, and now insanely smart, smarter than any human. <laughs> right. Um, and she's very, very charming and very convincing. But like this whole, I'm going to tell management that you're – like how is she going to get to management? Like the, her blackmail plan does not stand up in any way. So right. like I, I think that there are just a few flaws here and I'm willing to chalk it up to these two uh, cat-named people being very stupid, one of them being much more sympathetically stupid than the other. You yeah. know, And I think that – uh, there's basically a bunch of explanations you could use to explain their behavior, right? Um, so I, it did not actually bother me at all. And I, I think we are pretty easily bothered people uh, by this kind of thing. And uh, it didn't really bother either of us, right? So uh, I think Tandy Newton's performance is just so good that I am happy to gloss over it. Yeah, she, she really sells it. She really sells mm-hmm. it. So we've gotten to the end of the episode. I thought overall, very good. Uh, had some problems with it, like the Elsie stuff was pretty rough. But other than that, uh, I had a great time. Uh, any closing thoughts or crazy theories you want to introduce us to this week, Joanna? Uh, no, nothing nothing mind-blowing other than the fact that I'm just going to double down on my claim that we're going to see that photo again. Um, as listener Raymond Terry pointed out, we're going to see that photo again, and there's going to be a third person in it. All right, all right. What? What about you? Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, one thing we didn't mention, actually, is uh, the steeple, right? And we see a model, uh, a scale model of Ford's new narrative this week, yeah. right? Uh, a lot of people have speculated that the steeple is actually the steeple that we see in Dolores' flashback. Oh, I certainly think it is. Yeah. And I think it's a little confusing because Ford is ripping up old storylines left and right. He's destroying villages or about to destroy them or, you know, destroying uh, restaurants and all that stuff. And he said he's not very sentimental. He's he's fine with ripping up the past and starting anew. But if the steeple is a major part of his storyline, he's probably going to unearth it, right? Yeah. So it's some, some storyline happened with the steeple with Dolores – uh, years ago and they covered it up and they said hey let's never talk about this storyline again and then now he's probably going to unearth it again so it does send a kind of conflicting message to me about him wanting to forget his past or move on to new things but then he's going back to something so I'm very curious how that's all going to play out I am also curious. I also think in that scene where we see the model of the church steeple and Ford pulls out a notebook, I think it's Arnold's notebook because Arnold's the one who came up with the maze in the first place. So I think this is Arnold's plan, possibly, that Ford is trying to lay out. I don't know. That's that's my guess. John Robinson, you had a great piece called Unlocking Westworld's Seven Most Baffling Mysteries uh, that you wrote about Vanity Fair. We'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, and... You know, you lay out all the theories that are happening right now, uh, and there's a lot of great stuff there and we, that we have not even spoken about on this podcast yet. Uh, I think two that immediately come to mind are this idea that, number one, when the man in black uh, encounters Dolores in episode one, talks about how they've met before, and he says, you don't remember me, do you? I want you to fight, blah, 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 whatever. And he throws her into the barn you know, that he's not actually raping her and that he may actually, in fact, be protecting her. Uh, so if William is the man in black, very curious about whether that comes true. Uh, but another plot line that you had mentioned that I thought was 
pretty interesting uh, is this idea that Dolores was involved with the tragic incident that happened decades ago and that she has now been placed in this new loop uh, where she needs to uh, see Teddy die and potentially get raped and murdered herself as punishment for that. Which I thought, if true, is firstly, it's very plausible, but if true, is pretty fucked. Uh, don't you think? Like if Ford put her in that loop, for instance? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think we've already seen something kind of Sisyphean about what all these hosts are doing um, in terms of pushing that boulder back up the hill uh, every single day. And, uh, you know, Dolores, it does seem to me like Dolores is being punished. I just thought her loop was so miserable yes. from the, from the start and I it it only occurred to me this last week that that might be on purpose that she's being punished or something. Cuz a lot of people are like, well, if if Dolores went rogue so many years ago, why would she still allowed to be active? I have some theories about that that I lay out in the article, but you know, my my conclusion is she's active with a caveat. She's active with the caveat that she's punished and she's you know he talks about Ford talks to Teddy and he says your purpose is to keep Dolores on the farm so that's what that was that's what sparked the idea of like Teddy acting as her unwitting jailer almost right keeping her down on the farm so that every single night her family will be murdered and she'll possibly be sexually assaulted um and I really do feel like that first scene we see with with uh, Ed Harris's man in black dragging her into the barn. We later see a scene right where he says we we flash to what seems like the same scene, but inside the barn, and he says, you know, let's reacquaint ourselves. Dolores start at the beginning, which you and I have talked about in terms of like a flashback mechanism. But I also feel like it's. Um, you know the 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 cast and the creators were very affronted when the initial response to Westworld was, "Oh, good, another rape show, great job, HBO." And they were like, "No, that's not what it is. Please keep watching." And so, you know, I imagine they would be especially upset if that actually isn't a rape at all. I mean, obviously they were alluding; they wanted us to think it was a sexual assault, um, but if that wasn't actually what they were showing us as is the case with many things this season. Um, and they can't say that <laughs> in their own defense. Uh, you know, I guess we'll see how it all plays out. But Do you have any further thoughts on the Teddy Wyatt situation? Teddy has obviously been misrepresenting his contribution to the Wyatt thing. Any more theories around who Wyatt is or... I really What's feel gone? like the whole Wyatt thing is a big red herring, like a big distraction. The Wyatt and the maze things yeah. are just big MacGuffins, you think? I do because, you know, as I said in that piece, I really think the weapon that Ford is pointing towards the man in black is Dolores. And so he's got this other stuff, the maze and Teddy and all of that um, to distract him from the real danger that's coming at him, uh, which is Dolores, I think. Hmm. Uh, I think the final scene of this season, and I could be wrong, but I suspect the final season, the scene of the season is Dolores confronting the man in black and possibly also confronting William at the same time. We'll see. I'm excited. (laughs) If they're they're the same person, you mean? Well, I mean, I think it's going to flash back and forth in time sort of rapidly. Um, Mm. Her sort of... This is a pretty specific vision of the future, Joanna. So, Yeah. (laughs) All right. We'll see if it plays out. Uh, 
You can always email us uh, your theories and thoughts on the show at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. In the meantime, Joanna, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, you can find me on vanityfair.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Find me on Twitter at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. And all my other stuff at DaveChen.me. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.